It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 130, King Solomon and the Birth of Israel's Future Enemies. Jeroboam was frustrated. He was angry. The king was overruling his decisions. As the king's chief foreman, he was in charge of building the projects in the city of Jerusalem. All these years, he trusted him, but now he was micromanaging everything. The king was micromanaging everything. He didn't understand what was wrong with the king. He overruled all his decisions from the largest to the smallest of tasks. It's like he wanted division. It was so strange. He didn't understand how things could have changed so quickly. He considered how the king had changed in such a short while. He used to be trusting and full of wisdom and caring and encouraging like a perfect father. And now he's controlling, distant, and angry with everyone and everything. But Jeroboam took it further. He took it personal. He didn't have the ability to think larger than himself. He marginalized all problems to his perspective. In fact, his limited selfish worldview consolidated all of Solomon's new issues as personal to him and him alone. He was angry at Solomon. He was insulted and cut down and furious at the king. How could he do that to me? Why would he treat me this way? He murmured and murmured to himself. Far outside the walls of Jerusalem, Jeroboam grumbled to himself. The air was calm, yet the summer heat was brutal. So he sat under a tree and cursed to himself, when suddenly the air changed again, like a swift desert breeze out of the southwest. The swift breeze accelerated to even stronger winds until they pulled at his cape and forced him to close his eyes for the sand kicked up all around him. "'What are you doing out here?' shouted a voice. Jeroboam angled his head, still shielding his face from the sand, and saw Ahijah, the Lord's prophet. Jeroboam stood up, angling his back towards the blasting sand from the winds. "'Ahijah, what are you doing?' Ahijah, apparently impervious to the whipping winds and sand, glared Jeroboam in the eyes and then, quite shockingly, tore his expensive new cloak and proceeded to tear it again and again. What are you doing? Jeroboam declared. Ahijah ignored him, and with passion and strange strength for his age, he tore the cloak into pieces. Once the pieces were upon the sandy desert floor, he separated ten of them from two others. Jeroboam stared at the prophet, the hairs on his arms sticking straight up with fear gripping him. What was this prophet doing? Why is he here? Why is he tearing apart his cloak, his new expensive cloak? Once the prophet had ten pieces in his hands, he looked at Jeroboam with the gleam in his eye and a light shining from within him. He stepped to Jeroboam, who stumbled backward, but the prophet advanced further. 
Jeroboam stepped back again, and he regained his footing. Then he stood upright as a hijet advanced to within one pace of him. Within his personal space, eyes aglow. Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. Jeroboam received the ten pieces of his cloak, but his mind struggled to comprehend the rest of the words as the prophet spoke more words into him, feeling like they went all the way through him. As it soaked into him the power of the prophetic word, all the while the wind continued and the sand swirled all around them. What you just heard was a creative rendering of Ahijah's encounter with Jeroboam. I love the prophets because they're so unpredictable and they do the strangest things like tearing apart new cloaks and such. It makes for such drama. We'll cover more of Jeroboam at the end of the episode. As Solomon bows his knees to every god around, his economy begins its decline and enemies arise to challenge Israel. It's interesting to consider these enemies and who rises up and how two of them come out of Egypt, a future enemy of Israel. So much plotting is coming out of Egypt. Also, as we cover these leaders and the things that they do, it's important because these, this will impact kingdoms in centuries to come. Here is the biblical account, 1 Kings eleven fourteen. Then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite, from the royal line of Edom. Earlier when David was fighting with Edom, Joab, the commander of the army who had gone up to bury the dead, had struck down all the men in Edom. Joab and all the Israelites stayed there for six months until they had destroyed all the men in Edom. But Hadad, still only a boy, fled to Egypt with some Edomite officials who had served his father. They set out for Midian and went to Paran. Then, taking people from Paran with them, they went to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave Hadad a house and land and provided with them food. So Hadad will go on to marry one of the princesses of Egypt, and he will eventually leave Egypt upon the death of David, and he'll return to Syria, or end up in Syria, and he'll help lead a rebellion against Solomon. Now, Hadad is a super common name, if not just a common replacement name for men in authority or of royalty. I wouldn't go so far as to say that this guy will eventually be the ancestor of the future kings of the Arameans. He possibly could be, but it's hard to say because it's such a common name. If this is the case, though, Hadad, who rebels out of today's Syria, has an Egyptian wife and backing of the Egyptian government. So this is the first of Solomon's enemies at this point. Here is number two, 1 Kings eleven twenty-three, And God raised up against Solomon another adversary, Razan, son of Elidiah, who fled from his master, Hediezer, king of Zobah. When David destroyed Zobah's army, Razan gathered a band of men around him and became their leader. They went to Damascus, where they settled and took control. 
Razan was Israel's adversary as long as Solomon lived, adding to the trouble caused by Hadad. So Razan lived in Aram and was hostile towards Israel. Josephus groups Hadad with Razan. Having the man of royalty, Hadad, teaming up with the bandit Razan. When Israel breaks away after the death of Solomon, all the subjugated nations are going to break away eventually, and with it, these are going to be the future leaders for a while. Hadad and Razan and the eastern nations will have their own form of breaking away as well. Now we arrive at Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a man of valor and an overachiever and chief foreman of some of Solomon's projects. He will become God's chief instrument in removing the northern tribes. 1 Kings 11:26. Also, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zerida, and his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemos, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my commands and laws as David Solomon's father did. You gotta think, this is crazy. We started the episode with a dramatic look at this scene. Because the delivery of the prophets is so powerful, yet uncommon and full of intensity and drama. Let's keep this in mind. Ahijah, because he will be coming around again. Talk about the presentation. He took a cloak, brand new one by the way, and tore it in twelve pieces, declared a prophecy. Prophets sure have a way about themselves. Now we have to keep in mind the rest of the prophecy as well because it relates to Jesus and the scarlet thread and the promise to David. 1 Kings 11:34. This is the rest of Ahijah's prophecy. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand, and I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son, so that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. This is crazy important. Judah will never be torn away. There will be disbursement later, but the tribe of Judah and its people, they'll return back to Israel. God's promise to David was the eternal kingdom, and Judah received the prophecy that the scepter would never depart from him. And we can go back further, but the point is Jesus will be coming from the tribe of Judah.
No matter what, God will be fulfilling his word regarding his son through the line of Judah. Interesting looking at the long road ahead for Judah. Many nations will attack it, but without God's consent, it would be a futile enterprise. Ask the future nation of the northern tribes, which will go by the name of Israel later, the Arameans and the Assyrians, what happens when you try to take Jerusalem, God's holy city. Ahijah concludes with this word, 1 Kings 11.37 However, as for you, Jeroboam, I will take you, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command, and walk in obedience to me, and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. So when Solomon finds out the prophecy, he tries to kill Jeroboam. But guess where he flees like everyone who needs assistance and financial backing and support against Israel? Egypt. He stays in Egypt until Solomon's death. At this point, we have to understand there's a new pharaoh in Egypt, most likely, one who wants to take power from Solomon and seize his wealth. We'll cover him in a future episode. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, its obvious enemies are coming out of Egypt. Reminds me of Russia during the Cold War. They were funding any potential threats to the United States. And as well, the United States was funding any potential threats to Russia. Instead, Egypt was actually an alliance with Israel, even a marital alliance. But greed was growing in Egypt, and envy of Israel's power and wealth. Solomon's sin caused a barrier of spiritual protection to be lifted from the kingdom of Israel. When this barrier was lifted due to Solomon's sin and prophetic word of judgment, the door opened wide for demonic enemies to arise against Solomon. Two groups banded together in the north to eventually break away, funded by Egypt and Jeroboam, who rebelled and fled to Egypt. He'll marry an Egyptian woman as well, and eventually tear away the northern tribes coming back to Israel from Egypt. Considering this, we have to understand Solomon asked for this. He should have married the princess of Egypt, and he shouldn't have gone back time and time again for horses out of Egypt. By doing this, he was placing his hope and strength in himself and his army. By doing this, he was surrendering himself to the thing he admired and trusted over God. Strength out of Egypt. It's an interesting practical point. What are we trusting in and in admiring over God himself? This admiration or false worship was a doorway for Solomon to lose his authority and spiritual protection. Solomon, who seemed to have adored Egypt too much, would fall prey to its desires. Let us be careful not to adore things that cause destructions and open doors to demonic forces. May we be sensitive in our lives so that we may know when we are going back to Egypt. For we know that enemies come out of Egypt. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.